If you have your copy of God's Word, if you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 12. Psalm chapter 12, we continue our, our series of summer in the Psalms. And uh, if you have found Psalm 12, I invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. And I will be reading uh, from the English Standard Version this morning. To the choir master, according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered. Because the needy groan. I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words. Like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of man. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing in honor of it. You may be seated. I didn't have the creative titles of last week, but I did have a draft title for this message that did not make the cut. What to do when the world is short on godly people and filled with liars. What to do when the world is short on godly people and filled with liars. But the more, the more I studied the context and the content, the symmetry that's found in this psalm, the more I was convinced that the point of emphasis in this psalm is on the words of the Lord, on the promise of Yahweh in verse 5, and the confidence that God's people have in his word, no matter what people may be saying around him. So I want us to consider carefully, by way of introduction, those three things, the context, content, and what I'm calling a chiasm. Chiasm, I'll explain that term in just a minute. When we speak of the context, there is no real certainty about the specific occasion. What brought about this psalm? There's not certainty in it. In fact, the lack of personal language, the lack of uh, personal pronouns like I, me, my, it makes this psalm, this prayer of David, one that can be easily apprehended by all of us. All of God's people through the ages could have prayed this uh, prayer There were, of course, a number of circumstances in David's life where he probably felt this way, right? That that the godly had fled, there's nobody good around, and people's lips and tongues were filled with lies and deceit around him. Think of the rebellion of Absalom as an example. Or perhaps when Saul was hunting him, Perhaps there were uh, very few other godly people or faithful ones that David can see. In fact, maybe it was that David's advisors in Psalm 11 said, flee like a bird to your mountain. And when he said, no, 
I have faith. I will stay. They went. <laughs> they gone. They're out. And, and he says, help, Lord, because the godly ones are nowhere to be seen. And he felt alone and by himself. But whatever the specific context, it's the content of this psalm that helps shape our understanding. First of all, you see a, a prayer. A prayer in verses 1 through 4. Then a promise of God. The first time that it's recorded that God speaks in the collection of psalms in verse 5. And then there is a, this renewed assessment of the world in the last verses. All of this runs parallel with the existence of wickedness. Psalm 12 begins with wickedness all around. And Psalm 12 ends with wickedness all around. It seems like things have been left unchanged, but that's the thing. What has changed is the psalmist's heart. His confidence shines forth in verse 7. After the consideration of the promise of God in verse 5 and the trustworthiness of God's word in verse 6. Speaking of the word of the Lord, uh, that is what this chiasm, this symmetry points to. Chiasm, it comes from the, the Greek letter chi, which looks like our English letter X. And so it's just a fancy way of describing a pattern that is often found in ancient literature that, that actually frames the main and most important thing by starting and ending with the wickedness that abounds and kind of working inward, you see the, the center point of this psalm is verse 5. Let me show you Alec Motyer's breakdown of this psalm on the screen. And, and you'll see the A has a symmetry at the top and bottom. The B has symmetry, and then C is the middle. So he, he says it begins with an appeal to, to the Lord, Yahweh, in a collapsing society. And it ends with confidence in Yahweh in a mixed society. Uh, the, the next verse is B1, the, the words of man. They are false and forceful, which is balanced symmetrically by Yahweh's words, which are pure and purified. All of this centering on Yahweh's commitment, verse 5, that he will arise, that he hears the cry of the needy, and he will place them in the safety for which they long. So when you, when you look at the psalm with this analysis, we see that symmetry and the centrality of the words of the Lord. It's that commitment, along with the purity and trustworthiness of the word of God, that undergirds the confidence of David. So there you have kind of a, a quick introduction to the text and why the title I chose today in your uh, sermon notes is more about unshakable confidence in God's word and his promises than it is the existence of evil around us and wickedness. So with that perspective, then I want us to look uh, verse by verse through this psalm and see what it teaches us. First of all, we see that the godly are prompted to pray when wickedness abounds. The godly are prompted to pray when wickedness abounds. When David looks out, he says, there's wickedness everywhere. Godly people are nowhere to be found, and the wickedness that is prevalent is especially evident in the way people talk, the way people communicate. Now, in our day, we really can't relate to that, right? Okay, that was sarcasm, by the way. Yes, we can relate to the way that David felt here. Brothers and sisters, I have to tell you, 
that just like last week, I, I feel like Psalm chapter 12 has been reading our mail a little bit. It, it knows our context very well. We may live in a time of relative um, peace and prosperity. I mean, especially when you consider the, the global wars that have taken place over the last century. But while we may not be destroying one another physically, there is certainly a, a destruction a, 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 and a, a danger and a warfare that is taking place amongst us with our words. Our society is tearing itself to shreds with its speech. The foundations, like we spoke of last week, are being destroyed, and a lot of it is happening with words. It's as though David had access to our 2020 and 2021 social media feeds. Think reflectively with me, if you're one of the unlucky ones who is on social media, about your social media feed. Can you think of a time when you've heard lies on social media? What about flattery? Any flattery going on on your feed? Boastfulness? Any duplicity? Brazenness, as though there is not ever going to be an account given for what is said? Maybe you're not on social media. Maybe, though, you watch the 24-hour news cycle. You get the cable news networks. Do you ever see any name-calling? on the news? Any personal attacks, ad hominems? Any rhetorical cheap shots? Any misrepresentation of somebody else's views? What about grandstanding, gloating? What about at your workplace or where you go to school? Do you ever hear gutter talk, like inappropriate joking? Racism, foul language, slander, gossip, deceit, or hypocrisy? This is not a new problem. I want to share with you some of the, way, some of the ways David gives terms of what's happening. He says everyone utters lies. More literally, they utter emptiness. There's a sort of vanity and meaninglessness to the words that are spoken because their talk is cheap and empty. Flattering lips describe those who give insincere praise. I love this quote. One man has said it like this. He says, quote, He who puffs up another's heart has nothing better than wind in his own. <laughs> I love that. He who puffs up another's heart has nothing better than wind in his own. And more often than not, that person is simultaneously praising him with his lips and secretly, secretly intending to cheat or harm the person. That's what is meant when David says in verse 2 that they have a double heart. David saw many people whose lives did not match their words. Leonardtown Baptist Church, let us be an example for our families, our friends, that our lives match our words. People may say all the right things to my face, but the fruit of their lives tells a very different story. Then we see a boastful tongue at the end of verse 3. Big talk, bragging. 
James Montgomery Boyce, he tells the story of the French atheist Voltaire, who openly claimed that in 20 years, Christianity wouldn't exist from his lifetime. He said his single hand would destroy the edifice that it took apostles to rear. Voltaire also claimed that in 50 years, no one would even remember Christianity. Now that is a boastful tongue, isn't it? We hear stuff like that today from famed atheists like Richard Dawkins and others. Oh, but by the way, uh, Voltaire's boast 50 years later, the house in which he wrote his atheistic literature is now the headquarters of the Geneva Bible Society. It's being used to disseminate Christian scriptures. So the Lord cut off that boast. But notice also, Uh, One more characteristic of the mouths of the wicked is that they carry on assuming as though there will be no accountability. This is in verse 4. They ask the question, who is master over us? I feel like I can get away with it, so I just do it. Ungodly carry on and on and on, incessantly speaking and tweeting and bragging and assuming nobody will stop them or hold them accountable for their speech. These kinds of abuse of speech, they damage God's precious gift of communication. What a gift it is to be able to share and speak and talk. We're not like the animals. We have this gift and we abuse it with our wicked speech. Ungodly people destroy one of the foundations of our society, the speech that God has given us. And where are the righteous people? Where are the godly people? They've gone AWOL. They're not standing up and saying that kind of language ought not be so. Brothers and sisters, let us take this to heart. In summary, the wickedness that abounds is simply a wickedness of the tongue, And the Apostle James gives us a good summary of that, doesn't he? If you want to flip to James chapter 3, I'll pick it up in verse 5. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And that poison, this kind of poison, was seeping into and throughout society in David's day. But notice how he responds. He prays. He prays. The godly are prompted to pray whenever wickedness and wicked talk abounds. His prayer, as you will see, is not long-winded. It's not sophisticated. It's quite simple. 
It is, however, a very useful prayer for us. It's one that can be breathed out after almost every breath we breathe in these days. He says, Lord, as the CSB translated, help me. Help me. Save, Lord. Help, Lord. Charles Spurgeon called this prayer a short but sweet, suggestive, seasonable, and serviceable prayer. A kind of angel's sword to be turned every which way and used on all occasions. Spurgeon getting his alliteration on. Short, sweet, suggestive. Help, Lord! Brothers and sisters, I know you find yourselves in lonely situations. You feel, like David said, the godly have gone. Where you're at work, it feels like you are alone standing for the Lord. When you're at school, it feels like nobody around you shares your Christian perspective. Maybe even in your own home, you wonder, where have the godly gone? And you can use this prayer, breathe this prayer, and be reminded of this. You are not alone. You are not alone. The CSB Study Bible points out that this prayer of David seems a little bit like the way Elijah felt. You remember what Elijah said in 1 Kings 19? Verse 10, he says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Paul reminded the church at Rome about this prayer of Elijah, this consideration of Elijah, when he said, Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Verse 3, Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. He says, but what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Elijah, you are not alone. The Lord was at work in Israel by grace, and Elijah was not alone. And we too must pray and be reminded that God's grace is still at work. He is our help. We live in a world like the psalmist, where it seems the vast majority of people are set against the Lord and against his anointed one, like Psalm chapter 2. The, the people have arrayed themselves, have set themselves up against God and against his anointed Messiah, Jesus. But we must not catch ourselves complaining more about the sinfulness of the world than praying for God to be our help. James Johnston says, quote, Some Christians spend more time getting stirred up by talk radio than they do talking to God. We spend more time getting stirred up by what others say than we do pouring out our hearts to God. Brothers and sisters, let us, like King David, turn away from the noise and express our loneliness to God. Cry out to him for help and drown out the noise of wicked words with the pure and abiding word of God. We do so in confidence because this psalm teaches that the Lord is stirred to action when the needy groan. 
The Lord is stirred to action when the needy groan. Verse 5 says, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. Listen, the plundering of the poor and the groaning of the needy stir the heart of the Almighty. We need to never forget this fact. God cares for the poor. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul said that it was James, Peter, and John that told him, remember the poor. Remember the poor. Paul says that was the very thing I was eager to do. John Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, wrote this. He said, quote, Fear ye, whosoever you are, that you do wrong to the poor. If you do wrong to the poor, you may have power and wealth and the favor of judges, but listen, they have the strongest weapons of all. Sighings and groanings, which fetch help from heaven for them. These weapons dig down houses, throw up foundations, and overthrow whole nations. Leonardtown Baptist Church, hear me clearly, God cares for the poor, and so should we. When Jesus stood up in the synagogue in Luke chapter 4, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Paul reminded the church at Corinth that they themselves, not many of them, were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Even the rich will not be saved unless they recognize that before God they are poor and needy in spirit. Luther said on his deathbed, we are beggars. This is true. Psalm 12, 5 is the first time where Yahweh, the Lord, speaks in the whole collection of psalms to this point. The first quote where God speaks. But when he does, the psalmist, he exalts and he magnifies the word of the Lord. In stark contrast to the speech of sinful humanity, the words of the Lord are pure, even when put to the test. The words of the Lord are pure, even when put to the test. David writes, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. David was in awe of the purity of the word of God. 
Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure. They're reliable and altogether righteous. Here in this psalm, Psalm 12, the purity is the purity like that of refined silver. It has been tested and tried seven times. It is free of dross, free of impurity. One pastor has said, quote, the Bible has passed through the furnace of persecution, literary criticism, philosophic doubt, scientific discovery, and it's lost nothing. But those human interpretations which clung to it like an alloy does to precious metals. The experience of the saints also has tried the word of God in every conceivable manner, but not a single doctrine or promise has been consumed in even the most excessive of heat. Even to this day, the word of God is tested, isn't it? By worldly ideologies, philosophy, philosophies, excuse me, and yes, our own trials and experiences. They give us fresh opportunities to see the faithfulness and the purity of the word of God when we look back and we see he was faithful. His word was true and it was right. We go through the test and we learn to trust him. It reminds me, this purity of God's word and trusting in him reminds me of the hymn, Tis So Sweet, to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him, or and or and or and or and or and or and or. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust him more. The word of the Lord is pure, but it also remains, it endures after its testing. There is an implicit part of this verse that that tells us that the word of the Lord remains forever. It, It stands through the refiner's fire and tests, and so it is the enduring word of God. Isaiah 40 verse 8, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord, it remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Brothers and sisters, when you take the promise of God in verse 5 and you remind yourself by faith of the enduring purity of God in verse 6, you get verses 7 through 8 as the outcome. In them, we see that the faithful are protected even when wickedness persists for now. The faithful are protected even when wickedness persists for now. David writes in verse 7, You, O Lord, will keep them. That would be the needy. You will guard us from this generation forever. It would have been really sweet if that's where things ended in Psalm 12. 
But as is so often the case when we pray, it is not always the world around us that changes, but our hearts. And our confidence in God is renewed even when wickedness and vileness continues to be exalted around us. Regardless of what others do, we have the word of God as our reliable rock and stand on it as a firm foundation. David has confidence that the Lord will protect them forever. So where does this leave us? For those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus, we're reminded today by Psalm 12 of our need to pray and our need to trust God's word. It's pure and abiding word. But before we close today, I want to make totally sure that Jesus and his word is your firm foundation. You see, I wonder if there might be some here today who hear this psalm and might be tempted to think, yeah, you know, now that you bring it up, I'm watching, I'm seeing my social media, I think about it, there really are a lot of really nasty and wicked people out there. I I wish other people would watch what they say. People can be so harmful with their words. I'm glad I don't struggle with that too much. Friends, let me remind everyone here today that apart from the grace of God, nobody's language gets a pass. We already saw it hinted to in James chapter 3. Hear what Paul says in Romans 3 and verse 10. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Okay, nobody. You see, nobody's getting a pass. What does he talk about next? Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. And their mouth is full curses, and bitterness. If you're here, I want to remind you, there has only been one man who never flattered, never boasted, never lied or deceived in the slightest. 1 Peter 2, 22. He committed no sin, that is Jesus. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. The good news of the gospel is that although you and I should be condemned for our words, our sins can be forgiven, wiped clean, and we can be credited with his sinless mouth and his spotless obedience. This is why the Bible says he himself bore our sins in his body, which had a tongue, on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. I was reminded of this this morning as I was preparing. As he was on the tree, as we 
read, by his wounds we are healed, Isaiah 53, 5, right? 1 Peter 2, 24, let's just pick it up, Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. We're all guilty, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the forgiveness you can find in Jesus. But then Isaiah goes on. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet what? He opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. This is our suffering Savior, the sinless Jesus, whose words are pure. So I invite you today, if you have never trusted in Jesus and his shed blood on the cross for you, for your sins, for your tongue, do so today. His words are pure. His words are trustworthy. His word endures forever. And it's enough to give those of us who have put our faith and trust in him confidence, strength for today, and bright hope for tomorrow. We know that even when the world around us does not honor him with their words, that God will be true, though as it were, every one were a liar. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I suspect that the ancient deceiver and accuser, Satan, would be very pleased to come like a bird and snatch away what has been preached today. Because from the garden, he has been tempting us to doubt the faithfulness of your word. Has God surely said? So, Father, I pray that you would take your word and plant it deep inside of the hearts of men and women and boys and girls all across this room. And that your spirit would remind and call to life and bring hope and peace and joy and trust in the word that is preached. That there is forgiveness of sins to be found in Jesus Christ alone. That he was the only one with no deceit in his mouth. Father, would you cleanse us, purify us by your word. Those who have put their faith and trust in you, we cry out. Help, Lord. Help, Lord. Because all around, it seems like there are less and less godly people. It seems like everyone around us is hypocritical and lying and two-faced. It feels like there are people that say things and get away with stuff that we know is wrong, and so we're tempted to do the same ourselves, God, to be brought into 
vile and inappropriate speech. So Lord, guard our tongues. Teach us obedience by your word. Help us to be conformed into the image of Christ. Help us to be transformed by the renewal of our mind. That by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Help us to present our bodies, including our tongues, as a living sacrifice to you as a result of what we've heard today. Lord, instruct us to increase in faith, grow our faith and confidence in your promises. May we rely on them even when we don't see the world around us change. May our hope and steadfastness only grow as we consider that your word is pure and that it has stood the test of time. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.